This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. And today we're going to be talking about measuring innovation effectiveness in organizations, innovation metrics, uh, so to speak. And to help us with this is the person who has literally written the book on the topic, Innovation Accounting is the name of the book. And her name is Esther Cohns, which I pronounced badly. She's uh, Dutch and I can't pronounce the last name right. Esther, can you help us out with that? <laughs> hey, Chad. Yes, well, it was almost, almost there. Uh, Esther Gons is my name, but that's in Dutch. I, you can say Gons as well. Yeah. Okay, it's G-O-N-S, Gons. Okay, Esther is the CEO of Ground Control, an innovation accounting software platform to help corporate ventures with the development of new business models. And she's been an entrepreneur for over 20 years, great deal of product experience in that time, and has mentored several hundred startups. And listeners, just as a reminder, we take show notes for you. We take a detailed written notes of all the key insights and topics we've talked about. We also prepare a one-page action guide for you to help you immediately put into action the key takeaways from our discussion. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 365. Esther, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Chad. I'm very honored to be on your show. I'm very honored to be talking with you. It, it, it is a topic that is actually hard to find information on when it comes to innovation metrics, and particularly how to make them fit a particular organization, because they need to reflect that organization's strategy as, as well as their culture. I'm curious, Joe, first, the title of the book caught my attention because I would not think of this as innovation accounting. Why did you write this book? Well, the why is, as you said, uh, Jed, there is not much to find around the topic other than, and that's where the title is coming from, that Eric Ries coined the term innovation accounting in his book, Lean Startup. Uh, and that's basically my, my background. So startups, how do they work? What do they need? Um, what kind of experiments do they need to be doing? And innovation accounting at that point was just the the metrics and the and the accountability of the team for them to be able to make data driven decisions and 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 working with with corporates and and having re having written the book the corporate startups so being asked more to to work for with with and for corporates to help them set up these kind of innovation disruptive innovation startup innovation those capabilities within their company it became more and more apparent apparent that um there was actually a, a huge need and a big gap in terms of education, knowledgeability and, and how to do this and, and what, what actually is needed in a, in a corporate environment to, 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 to report on and, and measure that, that type of, of innovation progress. And then Toma, the co-author of the book, has been had been has been badgering me for for half a year or a year after we we finished writing the corporate startup. So, and then we finally decided, yeah, we have to we we have to write this book. It's it's simply something that if, if we want to move forward and we want to help all of these corporates really really start doing disruptive innovation, it needs to be out there. We need to help them. Okay, so a follow-on from what you learned through corporate startup and, and getting that into people's hands and this need to recognize, okay, how are we actually going to measure innovation and keep track of our performance, which I think is important for all organizations. You put this in the context of corporations that are companies that are looking for that kind of startup mentality, right? They're trying to energize innovation. Who do you think about as needing an innovation accounting system? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Chad, because there's so many different associations around the word innovation and, and startup mentality, right? So yeah. innovation is used as, as this catch-all word for everything. It's it's HR, it's being it's being more agile, it's it's doing work with startups, it's it's automating your process, it's building digital twins, and of course processes like lean startup and measuring in a different way are helpful for all all these types of innovation within the organization, but um, the other way around, if you really want to do disruptive innovation, so new markets, new business models, this kind of high risk, high return innovation, you need a structured approach to that. So you need, first of all, a structured way of working in, in, in de-risking that 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 bit of, of uh, innovation that you're doing, so the de-risking approach, and then on top of that, to be able to to work with that with that approach, then that, that structured approach, you need you need indicators that it is going into the right direction. Uh, something that your financial accounting system cannot do yet. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you ten hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations, helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do, and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition, And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com slash love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love and get the recommendations. De-risking means that you need a whole new set of, of indicators to, to be able to, to indicate if, you, if you're doing well there. Because that high-risk bucket also needs a diff- different type of investment, obviously. So if you really want to do that within your own company, then you need a, an innovation accounting system for it to really take off. Yeah, and you mentioned you know financial accounting there, and to contrast that, to our metrics in the financial accounting system that run corporations, the metrics that we look at for quarterly or annual performance, um, I typically think of as lagging indicators when it comes to innovation. Right, they're they're indicators that tell us what we accomplished, not what we're going to accomplish. And right, in innovation, exactly. we yeah. need those leading indicators, right? Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll get into that. So in, in the book, you address in, these you know innovation counting these metrics at several levels. And first one you call the tactical innovation, and this is really at the team level, right? Maybe at a, a product team. This is probably where our product managers play most is at this level. Let's start there and, and talk through the the metrics. And I don't know if you call these metrics KPIs, other things, but what are the indicators that you are putting in place to help teams think about measuring innovation? Well, the, the technical level is the team level, as you said, right? It's, it's for me, the most important important level of, of, of all. So 
basically if you if you if you look back at where it all started with innovation accounting with Eric Ries, that's basically what he talked about. So what do the teams need to move forward to be able to make decisions? So obviously those are indicators that are venture based. You you probably know things like pirate metrics, right? I'm not sure if you've talked about that before in your show, Chad, but but these are kind of individual metrics. Right. <laughs> uh, how am how am I how am I doing in terms of of, of of retention, acquisition, stuff like that. But those are individual metrics that you can base your decisions on. So if if I'm assuming this, this this should happen and I, and if not then then I'll take a different road or it is invalidated. So these are team specific indicators basically that they need to move forward on. If if you want to put this in into a bigger perspective, and that's that's the whole reason why we, we wrote the book Innovation Accounting, if you want to put this into a program, because as a a company you are you are setting up a, a bigger system you obviously you need layers around that and for for a company to understand what you need teams are the, are the basis and the most important thing and and your team members the ones that are doing the the de-risking of the business model have have a core business so to speak and their core business is de-risking those business models so their core business is learning right through experimenting so other than having the individual uh, metrics of, of of the team that are making decisions, um, you should have metrics that are around that learning. Because as a as a manager, I want to understand if of, if my team members are actually excelling in this, this, if they're going fast enough in in terms of learning. So so you started with off with metrics around that, you can then use experiments as 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 a metric if you want to understand. So with the focus there on learning fast enough, right, or learning faster as we go, maybe, um, and you talked about experiments being a metric, how would we use experiments as a metric? Yeah, that's that's a little bit dangerous. That's why I'm saying learning, right? But you have to measure the things that you can measure. So if mm-hmm. you measure the amount of experiments or the the amount of experiments that our teams are doing over time, obviously you want to, to do them, you want them to do experiments regularly, so maybe in sprints of two weeks and at least one per sprint, for instance. Then you measure the amount of experiments that they're doing. But of course, that's a system that you can game and you don't want to do have them doing experiments for the sake of doing experiments, right? That's, that's not the goal. The goal is learning. So what you want to understand is how much insights and learnings do they actually have from a particular experiment to be able to have some kind of insight in their learning, well, ratio, so to speak. And then you can connect other things to it, like time spent uh, each learning or cost spent for each learning. Yeah, so tie it back to certainly what you are learning, the insights. You mentioned something very important there about gaming metrics. And <laughs> do, do you want to share one of, my, one of my favorite examples about gaming metrics? It's an old one, and and longtime <laughs> listeners have probably heard me share this before. But, but once upon a time, I wasn't around when this was going on, but this is a, a, the story how I heard it. Ford Motor Company wanted to keep track of the performance on the line, right? And so this was in the very early days of their production line for cars. And they didn't have a good metric offhand for doing individual performance. But at one point, they uh, decided they could keep track of the number, the amount of scrap metal produced at a certain point on the line that we were, where they were trying to measure what was going on. And so by weighing the scrap metal at the end of the day, they would know how much production was actually being made. Well, you can imagine if you're the person on the line and your bonus is dependent on how much scrap metal is produced and the line slows down out of your control, 
you might tend to take matters into your own hand and produce extra scrap metal, which is a way to game that metric, right? Which apparently is what happened. And that's the careful thing about all these metrics is we want to use metrics to not in any way penalize the people doing the work, but to measure our ability to get better and improve over time. Especially that, Chad. So I'm always saying if, if, it, if it's a metric, it should be able to something that you can either improve or make decisions upon. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. your goal. You want to you want to improve what you're doing or your goal is to make decisions for being for moving forward or change behavior. And that's what your metrics should should show when and how to do that. So for for a manager understanding if the if if, if the teams are actually learning and being able to to answer the questions you have for each of the stages that that they have to go through with some confidence, they, they need to be learning well. And, and you have to be able to make decisions based on that, right? So why aren't they learning? Is there something wrong, wrong with their capability? Do they need to be educated? Is there stakeholders in the way that maybe don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it? So it, it's, it's there for, for, for making decisions and, and changing behavior. And identifying, are there stakeholders in the way, identifying if there are barriers that are limiting progress. And I don't know if this is a topic that you talked about in your corporate startup book, but it's very typical for organizations as we grow to unintentionally have barriers that start being created that actually limit innovation. Right? Yes, yes. And that's also one of the the, the things that, that if, especially if you implement a new system, right, that that's harder because... People don't know, but they they live and breathe the old system. So it's it occasionally it clashes. But having a complete new system also makes it easier because then there's no void. That and if there's a void or a blank page, people don't know what to do, and they grab back to the things that they do know, which is obviously the old system. So it does make sense to have a system as a whole rather than just a few new things, and then other things aren't there yet. When it comes to this team level of innovation accounting, of innovation metrics here, besides the pirate metrics, are, are, are there specific metrics that you have seen that are, are useful? We talked about, you know, the, the intent here is to, we're trying to keep track of, are we improving? Are we learning? And we might put metrics in place to help us gauge the insights we're getting from experiments. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask, are there specific metrics that you say, yeah, these are really good that we should be using? Yeah, for me, the most important one is the learning ratio, especially because that's at this level, that's what you should be doing. If your team is doing other things, then it's not going very well. But but of course, you can look at other things as well, right? You could look at what is the the value of what they're what they're creating connected to the cost, so the value cost ratio is this, is that something that you can change over time? But that, but those things only get interesting if you are a little bit more mature. So it also depends on the maturity level of, of how you're doing in terms of, of your program. So if you're just starting off, then I'd say your experiments and your learning ratio are the most important ones. And those are the ones that you can compare others to others with, right? You want apples and apples with the same structured approach. So you can't compare the pirate metrics because they should be def- different for each stage, for each single venture. But you can compare how they're doing in terms of learning and the, the speed of experimenting. So how would a learning ratio be calculated? Well, what we do in our in our platform, for instance, is look at your innovation sprints, right? So what is the typical time of an experiment? Do you have an average time for that? Can we, can we calculate that? Does it make sense to do 
two weekly innovation sprints and 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 try to run experiments that that sort of take that time or could be faster or could be slower but uh, and take a ratio from that so the amount of experiments that you could have could have done or are doing and how many you actually learned from is then is then a ratio so the experiments that we conducted versus the experiments that we found insights from right so you actually have to fill in this this experiment did is it is it a valid one or an invalid one? Not not in terms of if you validated, but but did you actually learn something? Yeah. Right? Did you do it wrong? Yeah. Then you have to do it again. Did you learn something invalidated or validated? Then then it's yeah. you have a learning and put and you put it in there for keeping track of experiments and what's going on and the hypothesis or outcome. Are you leaning on anyone else's template for that? Or are you using your own template for experiments? You know, like Lean Startup has some information on this. There's others in the Lean Movement. Stratagen has done their templates for experiments. Um, well, but they're not that what are you different, using? right? I mean, we're trying to be agnostic in that in that term that we were right. looking at the system and the metrics rather than what kind of experiment card you're using. And they're not that different in that you, when you make data-driven decisions, then you should make, make decisions based on data with some criteria. So that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But, but if, if you look at the innovation accounting system, what is more important are the answers that you are having. And, and those are connected to the confidence level of, of each of the stage and the questions you need to answer in those stages. And I think that's a more important part of the innovation accounting system. Yeah. Because the, the, the experiments serve the goal of you getting closer to, to be able to answer, hey, what did I need to, be, to answer in, the, in, in, this, in this focus area, in this stage? Was this around the solution? Was this around the customer segment? Those are questions I can now answer with confidence because, look, there's evidence that I got from the experiment. And that is, is important, the confidence level. Um, of those questions that you can then answer and that managers can then also help you take decisions on whether to move forward or, or stop even. Right. Good. Okay. So what I hear you telling me is to not overcomplicate this, yeah. make it <laughs> simple, but helpful and make it fit where you are right now in your maturity of, of collecting data on innovation. Okay. You talked, you, you just introduced the, the management level as you talked about that, about, you know, helping managers now make decisions about this. So let's move up to that level because after the kind of the team level in the book, you address the, the, the managerial level. How is innovation measured there? Yeah. So the managerial level focuses mainly on the fact that it makes sense to have sort of a venture board or investment board or decision board that then can help help the teams move forward. So whether the team makes the decision to, to, to say, hey, I have enough confidence to move forward or, hey, I want to stop this project because we've clearly invalidated or not, at, at some point, it needs to be enforced with a decision from, from the people that spend the money, right? Like, like the VCs in, in a startup world where the money invested is invested differently than you normally would in, in a, a pipeline-driven environment because this is high-risk money. So you want to look at, at small bets in the in the beginning and then stop the ones that, that don't sound promising and, and, and move along with the ones that are a little less risky because the confidence, their confidence level goes up. So it, 
it, that that level is mainly about the venture board where you're saying, hey, if if we want to make decisions, we want to see that confidence level with evidence. We want to we, we want to have answers to to a couple of questions for each of, of these stages and then determine whether or not they can move forward. So um, looking at that, that's meaning those metrics are around managing managing that kind of funnel of investment decisions basically. So what you want to understand there is how many of them moved from one stage to the, to the other? How many of these ventures or ideas are, are in my first stage? Do I have enough there to, to end up with something in the end, right? If, if my um, um, idea to venture conversion is, is one to 10, then obviously I need more than two or three in the first stage to have uh, some promising or possibilities in in the in the last one over over a couple of years, so mm-hmm. those metrics have to do with how do I manage that 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 funnel? Where do I look at what, and how do, how do I make these decisions? Okay, so the the idea here with this venture board, and I think this is a very smart idea for companies because m- most of the time we cannot do a good job guessing which projects are going to be the market winners with customers. And so the notion here is that we start very small. We put, as you said, we put our bets in small bets in places to, of new insights to work on. And depending on scale, let me just throw out some numbers, and you can change these if you like. So maybe for our scale company. We spend a thousand dollars just to develop a concept. So we have maybe you know lots of concepts going on. Everyone in the company can develop a concept, right? And Adobe did this with the their red box, which I always forget the official name. It was called the Kick Kickstarter box. box or Kickbox. Kickbox. Thank you for so yeah. much. <laughs> but it was literally physically a red box, so that's why I call it the red box. And so we're generating concepts really cheaply, doing really inexpensive experiments to see is this even a good idea. And then maybe the ones that make some filter, they get funded at the $10,000 level. And maybe this is stage one for the venture board. And, and the venture boards fund several of these. Let's say we, we have 100 of these going on in a big company at one time. And then the venture board's job is to say, well, maybe, like you use the 1 in 10 number, which I've seen other places, seems to work pretty well with some research on that. Well, of that 100, maybe there's a 10 that we say, okay, these are going to move forward. And we're using our resources on the projects that we've done the experiments on. We validated some ideas. It really looks like these are creating new value for customers. They're going to help us move into a new market, whatever the criteria are for each project. And now we're going to fund them at a higher level, like 100K, and help them move forward you know, in that next stage of development. Is that the sort of process we're talking about? It's, it's the sort of process that we're talking about. It's because it's high risk, just like with startups. And and that we can't pick winners, right? So so it's right. these kind of projects are high risk, disruptive, not finished within a year. Probably need like three, maybe even five to seven years to to develop and mature into a business model that works and has enough revenue for the com- for the core company to even say, oh, let's try this. So so obviously we can't pick winners. This doesn't make sense to fund it right away or even to know how much funding they need. So you so you approach it from that kind of way indeed, where where we're saying, okay, then um, look at it in a different way with those smaller bets. It's 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 literally just like going to the casino <laughs> if you if you want to use that use that parallel. But but also because you because it's actually like that. And then not only with money, it's also with the resources. So when do exactly. we throw in a whole team? Right, we can we can do with two people just trying stuff in the beginning really cheap, but maybe we need extra resources after two rounds of de-risking. All organizations are resource constrained. It doesn't matter on their size, and we have to use those resources wisely. So starting on these small bet projects, few resources, 
And then as we gain confidence in those creating value for customers in the organization, we can make bigger bets uh, on a smaller number of those projects. Okay. So we've done the team level. We've done the managerial level. How does this roll up to strategy? Because I always think that strategy should be driving innovation. We're kind of talking through this a little bit backwards about about getting a strategy now. But how does this keeping track of innovation metrics, innovation accounting, impact the top of the organization where strategy is created? Yeah, it, it is a loop, Jed, as you say. It should it should be both ways. So I see it as as it being a loop, of course. And so so that's also why the strategy level has two pillars of indicators, basically, right? Because what you want is that at strategy level, it feeds into why are we looking in this area to play in the first place? That should be strategy driven, and not always happening like that in in the real world, though. <laughs> Especially for disruptive innovation, right? Because the the core company and and corporate strategy as a function is looking at the core company and where it's moving right. in in twenty years from now. They're not taking into account any new business modeling or or new markets in a disruptive way, that's usually black holes for them. They literally say, we know this is going to happen somehow. We should take our company into this direction, but then we don't know how it's going to happen. And that's actually what you're doing with this disruptive um, innovation system. What you're saying is, let's find about these black holes. Are they opportunities or is my core company under threat and should I look at them more more clearly to be able to sort of discover what's out there and, and make make use of it. So on the one hand, what you want to understand is your core portfolio, right? Is that under threat? Is your core business model fading or not? Uh, and what we're saying there is uh, take a look at your portfolio in terms of business models rather than products or services. I was speaking to a a couple of companies in Luxembourg the other week, and, and they were saying, but but we have like 80 or, or 90 services even, and, and we're so diverse. And we looked at every single one of them and, and stuck them onto their business model. And when we, when we went through all of them, they were basically just one single business model with diversification for different kind of clients, and it was fading. Those 80 to 90 uh, services where where one business model was actually declining and they had numbers for that, but they never saw themselves as being under threat because they thought they were deserved, uh, diverse. And I was like, you're selling croissants and you're you're selling uh, you're selling uh, buns and you and you're selling muffins, but you're still a baker, right? They're, right. They're, you're not really that diverse. So for them to realize that they also realized that there was actually a need to look into maybe new markets or new business models that current one was on under threat and they they were looking at in in different directions where do I want to go what kind of chances are there is there are there what kind of possibilities are there and what are are we doing already right are we maybe um, already looking at a business model that is is mature and that is is in adjacent or transformational so you should look at your current portfolio in terms of business models and understand the need to look at opportunities for new business models or new new markets right that sort of feeds within then the need for disruptive innovation and and understanding a little bit more about about your funnel or where to go and then the other part is is understanding um the ROE, right? So finally, we get we get some value out of that. So even though 
when you start, you don't have any. You still want to understand if there's, in the end, if there's revenue coming from it and how much. But if there isn't any yet because you just started, you still want to understand if there's progress, your vision of where you, you want it to go, right? So if you have an innovation thesis based on your strategy, is that thesis validating through the stages? If not, should we rever- revise that? Should we look at it again? Look at it every every half year, year at least, and, and, and see if that direction that you thought was the right way is still based upon, upon some evidence within the market. And then regard mm-hmm. that what you're doing in, in your uh, disruptive innovation lab or throughout your company as a funnel of ventures that possibly could become part of your portfolio, but isn't yet, because that's, the, that's your portfolio of tomorrow. And, and that's where it meets the market. So that's the execution of your strategy, basically. And then you have the loop of the teams doing the innovation work um, that will feed, feed back into the company again. Excellent. I'm so glad you talked about not just the return on investment as a measurement there, but also the progression towards the vision that, that there's companies, especially startup companies, that often we buy into as consumers based on the vision they're providing. Right. When Tesla first showed up, it was that vision of an electric vehicle, a sustainable vehicle, one that receives updates that's always being made new. Right. And there's organizations that it's the vision that is a big part of what consumers are buying into and making progress on that is important to think about as well. So I enjoyed that you, you included that. Because it's, it's also important because you can also make a strategic decision if you don't see enough evidence from the market yet, but you feel it's educational or if you still believe it's going to be a truth in five to seven years you can also decide on a strategic point of view that you want to person i think microsoft did with with cloud-based services right they believed it was going to so they they persevered that vision and 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 wanted to follow through on it even though they couldn't see as as much evidence in the market as they wanted wanted yet but they knew it was going to happen sooner or later so sometimes then you have to make that those kind of strategic decisions as well. So you've helped us through thinking about how we might measure innovation performance and our ability to continually be learning at three levels, the team level, the managerial level, and the top of the organization strategy uh, sort of level. All very helpful. Many more details in your book, Innovation Accounting. As listeners know, we love a good innovation quote around here. What did you bring to us and tell us what that means to you? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't grab a quote from the internet, but it's one. It's rather one of myself that that I've I've used a little we like because those too. yeah, it's my quote is if there's one thing we can learn from the past is that we are very bad at predicting the future, and and this is one I use often in boards as well, just because of these things I just explained, right? We can't pick the winners. We don't know that. And and we tend to fall back to those things that we do know and, and in our safe incremental kind of innovation way. But if we, if we truly want to change and we need the change desperately right now in our in our world, right? Then we need to understand that we cannot predict the future and we need to take mm-hmm. a leap of faith or bet on something sometimes to be able to 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 move forward, to disrupt. Right. And we should know that, that we're not good at predicting the future. And two reminders that I just enjoy seeing happen over and over. One is the music industry. How many times I have heard artists say they, you know, they made this wonderful album of songs 
And it's the one that they just threw on there at the end that they really ran out of time to do. And, and they didn't really care about that song that much. And it's the number one, right? It's the best one that they were thinking about. Or the comedians who are practicing their work on the really small stages, trying to figure out what it actually gets laughs. And then once they find that out, then they go to the big stage, right? Because it's hard to predict what people are going to resonate with. And same for innovation projects. So very much appreciate your, your quote. There's another one, as we were talking earlier before we started recording, that you said you enjoy too that you use. And, and you told it to me and I like it too. So would you share that with us? Yeah, that's the one I sign my book with. My sign my books with. So whenever somebody asks me to sign their book, I, I write, never stop being curious. Because I think that's the most important thing that we need to be, especially in innovation. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things I do is I can't just walk from A to B. I wander around because then I'm curious, curious at, as, at, as what is behind something. Or there's somebody there and I, I want to understand what they're doing in terms of their context. And I'm just curious as to how they see the world. And right. sometimes people just think I'm weird. But I'm just really curious <laughs> into other people's mm -hmm. perspectives or or how you can see the world differently. And, and I think we should never lose that because that helps us improve and innovate and change. Absolutely. It's a characteristic I love product managers having. I think it's so important to be curious. And when product managers ask about, well, how do I talk to customers? How, how do I really get insights from customers? That, that, that's my default answer. Like, just be curious. If you're curious, you, you will find out new things. So thanks for sharing that with us. In terms of your book, Innovation Accounting, the other resources I know that you're always writing for people. How can we find out about your book and resources that you provide? Um, the book is on the site innovationaccountingbook.com, where we also put all of our blog posts and we have the resources that are in the book available as well. And other, I don't know if there's a place that you have other collections of writing that you're doing. Yeah, we write a lot of blog posts on either metrics or how startups are doing or how to do experiments on togroundcontrol.com, our platform. Yeah, so that those are most of our learnings and our and our uh, one pages are are on there as well. Okay. How how is groundcontrol.com spelled? It's it's two ground What's control the full and URL? Then just two two so okay. T O and then ground control as in major Tom. It's uh, okay. a, a dot, dot com. com. Just yeah. Excellent. Good. And I'll make sure those links are in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, any other links we should be aware of? I have my personal site, but that's maybe harder to spell for you. It's estheremilyhons.nl. I will make sure I get that correct. And I'll put that, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Excellent. Esther, thank you so much for joining us and sharing information on metrics. Glad you have been here with us. Yes, I really love the, ch the, the chat chat. That's nice to say. I, would, I wanted to say that, <laughs> but I really enjoyed our talk. Yeah, it was a very good discussion. Listeners, remember, we do take those show notes for you, detailed notes of everything we've talked about, and that one-page guide to help you put key takeaways into action immediately. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 365. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.